Well, good morning and welcome to Redeemer's Church. My name is Brett. I'm one of the leaders, pastors here at the church uh, alongside of Michael and Joel. He likes to hide back there. He's an elder here at the church as well. Uh, We're in a series that we're finishing off today. But before we get into this, Michael, how was your weekend, man? (laughs) Well, um, I'm adulting right now, which means I'm coaching soccer. Anybody else doing soccer right now with their kids? Yes. Okay. So... Coaching my niece's soccer team yesterday, I was super prepared. I had water and everything ready to go, um, with exception for the sun being out and being in the sun for like two hours straight. So I'm a little, I'm a little rosy, um, and I did not coach our team well. We lost eight to two. Yeah, <laughs> I was literally on the sideline. I wasn't even on the field, and I was like keeled over, drinking water, just like, oh my gosh, we got to get out of the sun. So. So yeah, that was a fun experience. And uh, how was your weekend? You good? I saw you already spilled juice on yourself this every, morning. Every week. I know. <laughs> when you have four kids. I need to bring clean shirts, extras every time. So, so good. <laughs> oh. Well, over the past year or so, um, your, leaders, your leaders and us, we've been seeking God's kingdom and praying that our hearts mm. would grow uh, the kingdom would grow in our hearts and in the lives of the people that live here in Redmond, Oregon. Uh, we've been asking the question, what does it look like for Redeemer's, ch- uh, for Redeemer's Church to have the kingdom expand in it, the kingdom of God expanding from this place here on Sunday mornings? And we are finishing a three-week series today uh, called Past, Present, and Future, where we spend some time looking at past, who we've been as a church, present, who we are uh, like right now, And then this week is future, uh, who we hope to become. So today we're going to get into the future vision, the stuff we sense that the Holy Spirit is asking us to step into. Uh, Now, some years ago, quick story, I had learned that a friend of mine, a, a strong follower of the way of Jesus, had stopped coming to church. So another church in Portland, Oregon, probably a decade ago, and uh, when I asked him about it, um, he didn't say that he had like lost his religion or that the church had offended him in some way or another, but instead he went on to tell me about this incredible men's small group that he had joined. And so I was a little skeptical of suspicious of this small group replacing big church, and I drilled him with a number of questions, and the conversation went a little like this. I said, well, you know, first, do you guys study the scriptures? And he, said, he says, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, we get deep in the scriptures. In fact, we have these big books of theology and language and historical study guides. Like, we're right on top of orthodoxy, tons of resources that help us. And I said, oh, okay, but, you know, but do you, do you pray? You know, oh, yeah, actually, we have tons of, tons of time to pray, he said. Like, because there's, there's just 12 of us, the number of Jesus' disciples. Like, we can go around and take prayer requests and spend tons of time doing that. He said, in fact, in fact, one of the guys even brings the guitar sometimes, and we sing. We, we do songs. I'm like, oh. I said, but yeah, 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 but, but you know, is, is there accountability, you know? He said, oh, yeah, actually, we, we confess our sins to one another, just as Scripture taught, and uh, we're comfortable being vulnerable with one another. Like, God is actually doing a healing work there, and, and, and to be honest, accountability to the church, some of the people that are in this small group, they're actually church leaders, Okay, so my, my next question was, but do you guys do the sacraments? Like, do you take communion? And he said, oh, of course, every week we do communion. We even performed a baptism. One of, one of our members, like, rededicated, and okay. And finally, I was like, I've had enough of this. I'm, I'm pulling out the big guns here. What about diversity, okay? 
so like, are you guys, you know, and he went, yeah, well, there's 12 of us, you know, some of us are different age and, and you know, different kinds of backgrounds and, and occupations. Okay, at this point, I was losing for sure in this conversation. <laughs> so I'm having a hard time coming up with reasons why he should be at church. Um, but again, I, I, I wanted to press into this diversity thing because I, I was like, no, nah, I don't think he can handle it. You know, this is the men's group. So I said, you know, I challenged him, what about valuing women? What about valuing different ethnicity and celebrating diversity and, and even like giving... Uh, giving attention to ageism, you know, like it sounds like there's still just a bunch of dudes in the same age group, you know. And then he surprised me by flipping the question on me. He said, "Well, how well does your megachurch do with that? Like, how well does your megachurch accommodate and celebrate diversity, women and ethnicity, and multiple age groups with opportunity to minister to one another?" You know, gulp. <laughs> uh, my answer was not good. Okay. <laughs> So finally, he just flat out said this. He said, Michael, I just don't see any reason why I should go to church, especially if my small group is doing a way better job at discipleship. Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good question. And we, your leaders, have been asking a similar question the past year and a half. We've been asking, why should you, why should you guys come to Redeemer's Church if there's something else out there that could be better, something else out there that could be forming you better into the person of Christ. Or put another way, what does Redeemer's Church provide that you can't get somewhere else? You follow me? And whatever that is, you know, how can we here on Sundays do more of that and less of the stuff that gets in the way? Now listen, every church out there will tell you that their mission is to make disciples. You guys know that. Like, if you go to any church website right now, you'll see it probably on the front page. Like, our mission is the Great Commission, to make disciples. You'll see it on all of them. So the real question is, are they actually doing it? Like, are they really making disciples, people that resemble Jesus more and more? Or are they just feeding our consumerism by getting confessions or decisions or hands raised or, you know, growing their building, making more noise or getting more followers on social media? So last week, we ended with this question. Every church needs to be able to answer two questions. This is a quote from Dallas Willard. First, what is your plan for making disciples? And second, does our plan actually work? <laughs> does our plan work? So this week, we want to look at four things. That as we sought God's kingdom, we believe the Spirit of God is asking us to lean into now and into 2022 here at Redeemer's Church, here in Redmond, Oregon. And those four things are this, simply, soul care, church, Holy Spirit, and missional living. Let's pray. Brett, do you want to pray for us? Yeah. yeah. Father, thank you for uh, just this opportunity to gather as your people. Um, so encouraging to sing loud praises and to also sing of being still and knowing you are God and to have our souls just at rest and at peace, knowing who you are, your kindness, your goodness, your grace, and your mercy. And as we move through this this morning, may there be clarity, understanding, excitement, passion behind what you want to do in our lives as a church corporately and how you want to work and move in and through us. So we give this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Deuteronomy 
there in the Pentateuch, one of the first five books of the Bible. Chapter 4, verse 9, might be a strange place you think to kick off a future church teaching because we're going way back to some words of good old Moses. So here in Deuteronomy 4, 9, it says, Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things your eyes have seen. Say that again. Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget things which your eyes have seen. How many of you have heard your soul needs saving? How many of you have heard your soul needs keeping? Shoot, Ron, you're a pastor, that counts. <laughs> wow, check out this quote. This comes from Willard. Some conservative and evangelical churches still sometimes talk about saving the soul, but even this much less than used to be the case. And once the soul is safe, it is usually treated as needing no further attention. Ignoring the soul is one reason why Christian churches have become fertile sources of recruits for cults, other religious and political groups. It is not reasonable to think the soul would be properly cared for when it hasn't even been seriously acknowledged. This has to change. As you might remember, at some moment or some point in your life where you were uh, pushed in a positive way to make a confession for Jesus Christ. Maybe a church gathering for me. Actually, I was just headed to the coast, what, this was like two months ago, and we're making this rounded corner from Metford to Grants Pass as we're making our way to the Redwoods there. And I look at my wife and my kids, and I said, this is, this is the corner that I realized my soul was headed on the path to hell, and my mom told me that you need to change and accept Jesus Christ. <laughs> Right? So, so every time I drive that, there's this memorial, this moment. And I, I was a young kid when I'd heard that. And at about 12, I had made maybe a um, fuller realization of I need to accept, respond, and walk with Jesus. And there's inevitably this question, which in every person comes to as they begin to follow Jesus, is great, my soul is saved. Now what? Now what? And in the evangelical tradition, you're going to get some very common steps of, hey, get to church, right? That's one of the things that we should be doing as followers of Jesus and maybe give a little bit of our time and give a little bit of our money and have some kind of nonprofit you support over here. And there's this attention and focus on a lot of the outward aspects of what we can and should be practicing and participating in. And for the first few years, there's these tangible, measurable goals. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm saying no to sin. This is, this is awesome, all right? I'm saying no to the things that really hurt and harm not only myself, but others in the very heart of God. And I'm reading my Bible, and that's a good thing. And into my adult years, uh, I'm going to be a pastor. Like, that's a great thing, right, Lord? That's what you want from me. And the years would go by, and here's what I realized in my life, probably late 20s, 28, 29, and it just begins to stir in me over that next decade. And it's, 
I know a lot more about God than I used to, but I don't really know God the way I should as father. I've done a lot of studying and reading, and the stacks of books that I have plowed through are just huge, massive libraries. And I can give right answers and point you to Scripture, but where is my closeness with my Father in heaven? I can move through the motions of a Sunday morning. I've been patted on the back for many a sermon that was actually given half-heartedly and plowed through just to get to the next one. And there was a moment when I woke up and I went, oh my goodness, something needs to change. I don't know what it is. There's a million little moments leading to this. But as I began to look at the landscape of pastoral ministry, I saw many pastor friends waning, their passion diminishing for the local church, for the Lord himself. And there was this onslaught of minuscule complaints that would come barreling in at me that would just seem so overwhelming, going, how can I handle coming everything my direction? And my very own cynicism would begin to grow And to my own dismay, I began to think, is this really the way forward and what it looks like to follow the way of Jesus? I watched and participated in trying to prove my own Christianity and my knowledge. And these vain attempts to connect with God just seemed so shallow and empty. And on the outside, there are many wonderful, fabulous moments I could point to and say, look, this is where sin has ceased, but has heart actually changed? This is where sure willpower was able to get me to the next place, the next step to say no to something, but has it been placed, replaced by God's power in my life? And often, and maybe some of you have experienced this, it isn't necessarily growth in Christ why you've stopped doing what you're doing, but it's been driven by guilt or fear of being found out or caught. That is not soul care. That might be fear-based, fear-motivated, and there might be some great moments where we can say, at least the fear got that thing out of my life. But what has it actually been replaced with? Has suppressing anger rather than killing anger really happened in my life? Or have I just simply had some behavior modification rather than actual transformation. In this past couple of weeks, uh, Michael and I went up to Portland and we're part of a conference. And this guy, he used to be my my youth pastor actually and started this mega church and went through this whole transformation himself. His name is John Mark Comer. And he said these words and they just struck Michael and I uh, because they've hit my heart in a very real way. He said, I realized I was becoming less like Jesus the more I did ministry. Wow. Now, you hear that from a pastor, and you're like, oh. (laughs) You kind of wonder, though, in your own life at times, the more I've gone to church and been engaged and been involved, the more cynical, the more just problematic I see of things happening, and I begin to get further and further away from needing to participate in the church. I can destroy my soul by going through the motions. And when pressure stacks and it mounts and you've got to produce and make things happen, you go, Lord, is this really what you have? So I reached out to pastor friends and they introduced me to guys like Dallas Willard, Richard Foster, pointed me towards these books that talked about actually caring for the soul. 
Not just going through the moments and the motions of church, but having something on the inside that's deeply impacting and happening and that moves us to the outside and outward in our lives to where it even changes the very facial expressions that happen on us. And I want this slide, if we have time for it, I think we do, to, to get thrown up here. And this is what I want to talk about for our church. What I want our church to be prepared for and getting ready to grow in is what it looks like, what it looks like to do soul care this next year or so for our church to have a series of teachings that are going to engage us on this level of Deuteronomy chapter four, verse nine, to take careful watch of your soul. This is not because your soul, if you're a follower of Jesus, isn't kept and cared for by him, sealed in the Holy Spirit, but it is to answer the question of what the heck am I supposed to do now? Do we just kind of hang around and sing kumbaya and kick it with one another and get through some of the problematic issues that we have and call that growth? Or what does it look like to actually become the kind of people living in the kingdom now that will be in the kingdom that is to come? And here it is. It deals with soul care. And when you think about this, when the word and spirit of Christ begins to enter a person, it sort of starts on this outside where it hits you and it begins to move its way through your soul the social aspect of who you are, impacting your very body, your mind, getting to your heart and your will. This is the word of God coming in. And then at that center point, because you've been transformed and changed by the spirit, the spirit then is changing how we think as we go outward into the world. It changes how our body reacts and responds to anxiety, to pressure, to pain, to suffering, to anger, to guilt, to marriage, to all of the other aspects that are happening and going on around us in that social realm, how we interact with one another and then outward to the soul and into the world beyond. When Michael and I talk about soul care, when Carson teaches on soul care in this next future season for our church, we want you to understand that it is flowing from the inside out as the word is entered in and then moving through us. That's what we're looking at. That's what we want to do. We want to take careful watch of our souls in this next season. Yeah, so, and the plan is there. Once we wrap up the Gospel of Matthew, uh, we'll, head, we'll be in Advent in December, celebrating Christmas, of course, and then in January 2022, uh, we will kick off some sort of series on discipleship and soul care. And uh, this slide, which we can take off now, it's giving me anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> will make a lot more sense. So it's just kind of a teaser to come. So the next thing I want to talk about is church. I'm going to start with a quote from A.W. Tozer. He says, The church that can't worship, holistic worship, must be entertained. And leaders who can't lead a church to worship must provide the entertainment. This, to me, describes perfectly what most churches feel like. You know, last week, in order to, to sort of contrast the mega church model of franchising church, we asked the question, how do I grow to be more like Jesus in this community right now? Or put another way, how could we do church better? How could we do church better? And last week, we looked at First Peter Chapter 2, verse 9, that is, we're priests to one another. We looked at Acts 2.42 and just sort of those four paradigms, teaching, fellowship, food, and prayer. 
But here's a few more verses to consider. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 26. You don't need to turn there. I'll read it to you. What then shall we say? Brothers and sisters. See if you're paying attention. Brothers and sisters. Yes, okay, good. <laughs> and when you come together, so notice this, each of you, brothers and sisters, has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If you want to, you can open to Ephesians on your Bible or Bible app. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read starting at verse 7 and then get through 11 and 16. Ephesians chapter 4. It'll be on the screen. But to each one of, each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So Christ himself gave, and now notice uh, the five things that he lists here that each one of us would have. One, apostles. Two, prophets. Three, evangelists. Four, pastors or shepherds. Five, teachers. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching or by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Wow. That's a, that's a run-on sentence, but yes, <laughs> that is so good. <laughs> Look how much of what happens in the church involves all the people, the entire body ministering to one another, not just a few individuals, right? It's beautiful what the church can be when we all step up into that place of ministry for one another. A bit of an epiphany recently happened here on Sunday. Um, I just had a few conversations with people. It was on the same Sunday. One uh, person came up to me and said something to the effect of like, hey, um, when I come to church, I actually prefer sitting in an empty row. That way I'm able to focus more. Right? I'm not distracted by the other people around me. And another person said, you know, Michael, uh, it, we should probably set up more and more chairs because when visitors come, they don't want to talk to people. Right? They want to sneak in and sneak out and avoid a conversation. Does anyone else feel that way? Right? I, I, I did for years. <laughs> i got to confess. I did for years, right? Like, don't bother me. I just want my coffee and a good teaching and, and some decent cover worship music, right? I get it. So now I realized, I realized in that moment after those conversations that we actually have a fundamental flaw in our understanding of what church gathering is. We have a flaw in our understanding. We treat church a lot like our morning devotions, don't we? Yeah. So that one-on-one time with God that many of you are accustomed to doing or in a habit of doing, it's like me and Jesus and coffee and a devotional that's full of C.S. Lewis quotes, right? And then if you're under 40 years old, you're probably going to like snap a pic for the gram, you know, just to make sure everybody knows that you did your devotions, <laughs> right? We, we want to treat church like this, but there's a problem. Church, by its literal definition in Greek, ekklesia, means the assembly, It's the assembly. It is the body of Christ. It is plural in nature, not singular. 
And so, and truly, like, it's not just in the scriptures that we see that word used that way. Historical texts in Greek will show us that ekklesia is used to mean the assembly. And I want to propose to you, and this was life-changing for me, especially as an introvert, right? (laughs) I want to propose to you that we change our mindset when we come to gather here on Sundays. And this is is going to be really simple. Um, It goes like this. You guys ready for it? I want us together to expect to talk to people. <laughs> I feel the anxiety. Like, <laughs> okay. Expect interaction. Expect to meet new people. Expect conversation and prayer, even the awkward conversations and awkward prayers. That's what being a family is all about. This is not your private devotional space. Like, you get that all week long at home. I mean, we've actually made decisions uh, that enhance this place as a building where we can see one another. Uh, We had the option to do, like, blackout blinds here on these windows and, like, get the room super dark for, like, our music time, you know, and the lights and the lasers and all that. And it was like, no, we're not trying to create a space where you can, like, hear your favorite worship song and go to the corner and bawl your eyes out, you know? Like, and that's not all bad. Don't get me wrong, okay? But I think it would be way healthier for our church and many churches like ours to move forward worshiping in a space where we see one another, each person, knowing them by name, going, you know what? This is the family of God, and I don't need to be afraid anymore. I don't need to be shy Yeah, this is your eternal family. You belong here. Now, Ronald Rollheiser gives a list of why we do church in community, and it's not exhaustive, um, but it'll suffice for today. He asks a question, so why go to church? And here's his list. One, because it is not good to be alone. Yes, true. Next thing, to take my rightful place humbly with the family of humanity, to lose separateness and to die to elitism. Yes, humbly in the family. That's like, like it doesn't matter how many cool things I've done personally. When I go to meet with my family, they're going to make fun of how I dress, right? (laughs) It's just, it's going to happen, you know? I'm in a rock band. We don't care. You look like a clown. Okay. Because God calls me there to will his will. God actually, his will is that you, you meet in community like this. Next, to dispel my fantasies about myself, to, to stay humble, right? Your family has a unique way of doing that to you as well, I'm sure. Because 10,000, I love this one, because 10,000 saints have told me so, right? <laughs> um, it's easy to slip into a very presumptuous worldview that we are like better than the past generation, you know? Uh, we're not. I mean, for example, the dopest music came out in the 60s. Everybody knows that, all right? Nobody today is making, Bieber, sorry, right? <laughs> Beatles over Beater. Bieber, any day. Yeah, 10,000 saints can teach us something. Tens of thousands. Next, to help others carry out pathologies and to have them help me carry out mine. There's a sense of therapy that happens in this room on Sundays, just being in community, just in simple conversation. A lot there. I'm going to keep going on. To dream with others and the kind that come into reality come into reality as justice initiatives. We're going to get more to that towards the end when we talk about missional living. 
And then finally, to practice for heaven, right? This is a microcosm of what heaven will actually be like. And for the pure joy of it, because it is heaven, right? The pure joy of it. Seeing Cam up here, lead us in a psalm. Come on. Yeah. That's joy. That's good stuff. So point being, church is not about one man's gift to teach or another man's to sing or a few others' ability to, to make coffee and bring donuts, you know? It's about all of us assembling together to build up one another in the gift of the Holy Spirit. So how can we do church better? To do church better, uh, we need more space and time. We just do. When we met with our leaders and we kind of were asking all these questions, some of our key leaders here at a retreat, that was the one thing that came up a number of times. It was like, man, we just need more time. We need more space. And it's hard to do that in like an hour, hour and a half gathering, hour 45 today, (laughs) when you have the kids, workers downstairs, like pulling their eyes out, you know, (laughs) because of how long we're going. So we need more space and time. How do we plan to do this? Um, phase one, I'm calling it that, extended pre-gathering prayer. So we're thinking come January, we're going to kick off a longer period of pre-gathering prayer. And so if you want to come and, court a, and, and experience the Holy Spirit and the gifts one to another, please come to that. Again, nothing solid in stone right now, but that's just what we are thinking. Phase two, um, I'm not going to tell you. You don't need to worry. Um, you'll know when you're ready for it. You'll just know, Okay. <laughs> Uh, George MacDonald wrote this short fairy tale, and there's a quote in it I love. A fairy tale, A Little Daylight. He said, meaning will come with the thing itself. Okay? Meaning will come with the thing itself. Well, phase two is going to be great. I don't know when it's going to happen, but we'll know. That leads us to the next section, Holy Spirit. So we've talked about soul care. We've talked about church. And briefly, we're going to talk about Holy Spirit. There's this sobering quote from A.W. Tozer. You've probably heard it in its many forms. It goes like this. I remind you that there are churches so completely out of the hands of God that if the Holy Spirit withdrew, withdrew from them, they wouldn't find out for many months. Just take a look at that quote. That is, that is troubling. It hurts, right? Yeah. And, and why? Because like some of you, like I've not only visited churches where I had that feeling, but I've led them as well. I've been guilty of this, of putting on the slick program, the music, the transitions, the lights, and forgetting that the real power is in the Holy Spirit. It's really easy to slip into that, to slip into a mode of a good TED Talk and a good concert. We don't want that to happen here at Redeemer's Church. So how do we learn to rely more on the Holy Spirit? Lots to discuss here. Many of you are new, so um, if you can, please go back and listen to the teaching we gave in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In brief summary, here's what we learn about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. Or put another way, the Holy Spirit is God's person, his power, and presence. Number two, the Holy Spirit is helper. Number three, the Holy Spirit is person. But the real question is that you're all wondering, what do we believe about the Holy Spirit working through us? In power, in signs, in wonders. What unfortunately has been called uh, spiritual gifts. And here it is. Here's our breakdown of that whole teaching. This is where we landed. The Spirit is the gift. You guys remember that? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself is the gift. Now, only once in your Bibles do you ever see spiritual gifts put together, and it's not in the passages that you think it is, you know, the ones about the long list of what we think are spiritual gifts. It's not there. It's in a weird, obscure spot. That is to, to say that the Spirit 
The Holy Spirit is the gift. So if you think of Acts 1, which I think I have up there, yeah, you see that the Holy Spirit was Jesus' plan from the get-go to spread the kingdom through you and I. The Holy Spirit is the gift. So the question for Redeemer's Church is, what is going to be the controlling influence in the life of our church, us or the Holy Spirit? What's going to be the controlling influence in the life of this church? Is it going to be us trying to muster that thing up, or is it going to be obedience to the Holy Spirit? So beginning a relationship with the Holy Spirit is like a whole other topic. If you're interested on our teaching page, there's a, there's a link that goes to books, and in there, a Dallas Willard book that I think is a great start called Hearing God. You can go there on your own. I want to look at one more passage, Acts 13, verse 2, just to get an idea of how this kind of Holy Spirit stuff works. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. When we gather to worship, to fast, to read the scriptures, to lay hands on one another in a benediction of sorts for prayer, whatever, the Spirit can intervene at any moment, and we go along with it. Like, it's really simple. It's simple. Like, when we sing songs every week, like, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Let us become more aware of your presence. We're opening ourselves up for that moment to happen at any time. Uh, Just to kind of illustrate that, um, it was, I think, last fall, uh, we kind of had our first go-around of all the COVID drama and shutdowns and openings, and we hit that fall time and kind of thought we'd made a rhythm and found our way. And we were sitting in staff meeting, and Sandy was there, and Michael was there, and myself, and uh, we just spent some time... uh, asking the Spirit what, what the Spirit would say to us. And kind of went around and shared some things, and then Michael looked up at me, and he was a bit hesitant. <laughs> and he goes, Brett, I want to share this with you. I really feel like it's on my heart. But he said, um, I think it's going to be a really hard year. Um, I'm not good at managing my emotions. <laughs> so my face is like, Womp. what are you saying to me? And he goes, I don't know for sure but I, I think you're the guy to get us through this, but I don't know for sure. <laughs> I, knew, I knew you were the guy to get us through it. I was just letting you know for yourself, I think it's going to be a hard year. And then, and then he says, just, just, just to throw it out there, like this is what the Spirit spoke to me. Now, if you were here from fall on, like we were just cruising till Christmas, and things were amazing and awesome. I'm like, thinking about that word Michael had shared, and it was just seemingly meaningless. And then it just started to spiral. And there was notices and letters. And it's not just all COVID-related. There's drama and there's problems and there's issues. And I'm going on 18 years of ministry. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. There's complaints. And time and time again, in the back of my head, the word Michael shared just kept probing me. I warned you. I told you, stay strong. Stay strong. Stay strong. And you have to understand that in those moments, because every human has these moments of doubts and despair and struggles, and it's a word like that that continued to push me deeper into we're going to grind, we're going to persevere, and we're going to continue to move forward. And what I wanted to share that and why I wanted to share that is just to give you an idea of what we mean. I mean, Michael just simply said, hey, this is, this is what I think the Spirit is sharing with me. And 
we don't have an alternate reality to go by right now, but I don't know what that looks like without having that word in the back of my head, thinking that through when those tough times come, thinking that through when I'm tired, as tired as you all are at times, and going, how do we get past this next problem? And it was because we created space and time in our gathering, in our just staff gathering, where we're saying, Spirit, will you speak to us? Yeah, and uh, just to be clear, not all of the things that I sense from the Spirit are total downers like that. <laughs> but hey, God used it for encouragement. And I remember, I remember that, that morning, I was just like, oh my gosh, am I really sensing that? Am I really going to say this out loud to Britt? I was like, bummer. But the Spirit was able to use it for encouragement, which is, which is cool. We've got this great G. Campbell, G. Campbell Morgan quote in here, uh, the disturbing voice, um, because he often, G. Campbell Morgan's pointing out, the pathway altogether different from the one you had planned. In my mind, I saw things going one way, and the Spirit was preparing me for something to go a different way. So when we talk about making space for the Holy Spirit to work and move in our lives, it's it's that. It's that, does God place a word on your heart to text somebody, to share a verse, to reach out? Is it, I'm not just talking Sunday morning, but Tuesday afternoon. Or how come when you have that person prompted on your heart, you write it off as just some like weird thing or uh, Facebook heard you talking about them so their feed came up, right? That's the, like, let's, let's actually stop and see people. Yeah. And our plan for that will be in pre-gathering prayer. We plan to do a lot more of that in that space. And I'll be honest, it's going to require some risk. It's going to require some risk, which makes sense because we are allowing the person of the Holy Spirit to have its influence, the disturbing voice, right? Which meaning there's going to be great moments. I love when the Holy Spirit tells me to share something positive. I'm like, Brett, this is going to be a great year for you, 2022, you know? So it takes, it takes risk. It pushes you out of your human comfort zone. And with a Willer quote here, he says, you are an unceasing spiritual being created for intimate and transforming friendship with the creative community that is the Trinity. Learning to hear God is much more about becoming comfortable in a continuing conversation and learning to constantly lean on the goodness and love of God than it is about turning to God or turning God into an ATM for advice or treating the Bible as a crystal ball. As in, growing in our relationship with the Holy Spirit is going to take some time. But we have some time. Let's get started, you know? Mm-hmm. Let's go there. Let's take that risk. So finally, last thing today, missional living. Brett, take us Yeah, uh, if you guys were in church in the early 2000s, missional or being on mission for Jesus got overplayed in your church, correct? Yeah. I mean, you just heard that. It's not even a word, I don't think. uh, Christians just made it up to sound smart. And so uh, missional living, though, there's not a better word than missional for what we're going to talk about this morning and uh, to finish on for us as a church. But missional, this idea of individually, we've created our church space to be on mission for Jesus in groups and in simplicity. Corporately, we're all also looking for opportunity. Now, we know Matthew 28. Go therefore and make of all. Yeah, and then Jesus says to actually teach, the, to baptize them, and then to teach them to do all the things that I've told you. We, we always like leave that part off because that's the hard part to actually obey him and to go and do the things that he taught us to go and do. Now, the big word that always gets used there is go. Go make disciples. And so missionary movements, and we saw people going to other nations and other countries. Now, what's super cool about America is other nations have actually come to us. I know some of us bemoan this, 
And I like would love to have some conversations with you later about this, but we have other nations and tongues and people coming to us. And what I would like for us to actually consider this morning is the Great Commission twist. Not go, have some extravagant adventure, but what would it look like to stay? In your community, in this area around us, and to have longevity and long-lasting impact. Perry just called me this last week, and we were talking about just all sorts of stuff in life. And he goes, I just recently heard that it takes 10 years in a community to begin to make the kind of relationships that can actually influence somebody else. And in a mobile society, which means about every two years, people move. You move churches, you move communities, you move jobs. We as Americans do not stay put long enough to make impact. What would it look like in the Great Commission to stay with this transient culture, seeing neighborhoods and jobs and cities because there's a faithful presence being had? John Tyson talks about this and he says, being a faithful presence where you are becoming a more, is becoming a more difficult challenge. The Great Commission of today could very easily be treated to mean stay and make disciples. Is that biblical, Brett? First Timothy. Chapter 1, verse 3. Check 1, 2. That's good. What, what did Paul write to Timothy at Ephesus? Ephesus was horrible. It was not a place he wanted to stick around, and Paul said, stay. I charge you, I command you to stay and make disciples. Frank Lubach, he wrote this, the simple program of Christ for winning the whole world is to make each person he touches magnetic enough with love to draw others. Sometimes we think we have to be so creative in how we're going to reach the lost. Let me tell you the most contrast culture way to reach those who don't know Christ, love them. In a world that is not loving right now. Honestly, we live in one of the most selfish, self-absorbed times in history. Where Facebook feeds and Instagram feeds and Twitter feeds. And because we needed more places for self-absorption, we created Twitch and we created, oh, I don't know, the one where you make videos and it's all boomeranged and all the... TikTok, thank you. I'm like not, I'm almost not a millennial. So, <laughs> so we got TikTok, this self-absorbed culture and our preaching is about us and our music is about us and culture is about us. What would it look like to slow down and sit on somebody's doorstep and share a drink? What would it look like to notice someone? One of the disciplines that I'm working on is just that. Noticing, saying hello, looking up, waving, acknowledging other humans. These are the things that we want to encourage us to walk in, to show actual love. This next year is going to be really healthy for Redeemers. And it's going to challenge the heck out of us. And I cannot wait for it. But what we want to see, what we want to see is our hearts moving, not just towards information about the Bible. We've done that so well here. I I truly believe that. But transformation, the renewing of our minds, the inward man, the heart, the strength, the will, all of this conforming us, making us like the image of Christ. When it comes to church, it's a community process. We are fitted. We're joined together. Let's pray. Lord, we're excited.